This episode is brought to you by Left of Boom. We empower leaders to respond to crisis proactively and with confidence. G'day ladies and gentlemen, my name's Grant Chisnell and welcome to Crisis Talks. Business has always drawn on sport for lessons in life and leadership. In this episode, I speak with Tarkin Lockyer, the former 227 game player from the Collingwood Football Club who transitioned to a successful career as a football coach. We talk about some of his experiences in that difficult time from the transition from player to coach within the same club environment. We discuss some of the challenges that he faced in finding himself in that new role as coach and how he's managed to adapt his approach over the years to become a successful coach today. If you're interested in high performance teams, leadership, and some of the lessons you can learn from sport, this is a fantastic episode for you. Well, today, ladies and gents, I've got uh, a great friend of mine, uh, a man by the name of Tarkin Lockyer, extremely well known within the football circles, uh, 227 game, great with the Collingwood Football Club, went on to a, uh, has been in a coaching career since, and, and today we're really here to talk about uh, about high performance teams and about some of the things about leadership that you've learned over that journey from sport that can be applied in business and in particular I'm really interested today of exploring those angles around crisis management, uh, performance and decision making under pressure so Tark and Lockyer welcome along to Crisis Talks mate. Thanks mate I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Should be a bit of fun, looking forward to it. Now uh, mate tell us a bit about the career and, and I suppose the transition you've gone through. Yeah yeah well, you mentioned well, obviously you know was really lucky to, to play a few games for, for Collingwood and spend yeah, just a, a significant amount of time um, uh, both playing and, and coaching but yeah so I spent um, a good part of sort of 12, 12 years um, as a player um, and um, you know, obviously, experience all the highs and lows um, that, that come with that. But very fortunate to um, to have forged out a, a decent career, um, and then moved straight from playing. Um, so after the 2010 Grand Final that they won, and unfortunately, I didn't didn't get to play in that. But um, jumped straight across from from playing into into coaching. Yeah. Um, so sort of had three weeks three weeks after the after the Grand Final, I was the uh, I was the VFL coach. So I mm. um, then spent another ten years as a coach there and. Um, and just recently, over the last sort of six months, have, have transitioned away from Collingwood. Um, finally, gotten out of the out of little bubble and um, and have accepted a job at the AFL uh, as the national talent um, head coach. So, gone from working with um, guys that had already been drafted mm-hmm. to the potential crop of, of our next generation of um, of draftees. So, now, really interesting. Gen- that next generation is suffering a little bit at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, obviously a, for everyone. Um, globally, it's been a, an interesting couple of months, um, but certainly for for this year's group of players, um, you know, it, it's highly compromised um, the preparation and, and their ability to, to show their best um, in what would be their draft year is is compromised at the moment. So, yeah. trying to trying to manage that and work through that, and um, still trying to provide the the kids with the best opportunity, but mm. also provide clubs with enough information so that they're armed to make informed choices mm. uh, is a really difficult task at the moment. So there is a little bit of anxiety um, and nervousness um, in in the industry as there is in in a lot of industries at the moment. But um, you know the the thing that I've said to all the all the players uh, across the country is everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. So it's not like and particularly through the um, you know the the lockdown period. Um, where we're, it's highly restricted what you can and can't do, mm. um, and particularly from a football point of view, trying to um, get meaningful training and fitness and keeping your, your footy skills um, up to, to standard is a challenge in that time. Yeah. Um, but the common theme is that everyone's going through the same thing, so mm. you know, you're not really missing out on much. Yeah, I think it's... I mean, you know, we've seen the impact it's having both um, within the community and then also within the sport. But it's great to have sport back, obviously, because yeah. it's such an important part of our culture here in Australia. Yeah, so, it is. It is. You know, is there certain parts of that that you miss now, mate? Uh, the, the the playing, playing part? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think everyone does, and that's why um, that's why everyone wants to, to stay in sport. Like, all of, your, all of my fondest memories... Um, generally after a win and mm. the you know the the one thing that 
is is common with with most players when you ask you know what what do you miss um, yeah you miss the competitiveness you miss um, you know everyone loves the, the the win and loss or the the, the competition phase and um, but the the sort of the ten minutes after after a win regardless of what level that you play at um, to be able to spend you know that that next sort of ten minutes with the blokes that you've run you know blood sweat tears all that sort of stuff with you know for that little period of time is is priceless and it's very difficult to find um, elsewhere anyway so, yeah. yeah so that's why um, you know everyone that's why I'm, I'm attracted to sport so now in in, in my coaching role um, you know you are a part of it um, but it's not quite the same as being a player never is never is, is it <laughs> so yeah. what um looking back on that career an amazing career um you came through the rookie yeah yeah so as started well as a, as a rookie i was yeah. um i actually got a um kevin sheen's one of the guys that i work with at the afl He's yeah the doyen of, of the draft he and, is and, yeah, yeah, and yeah underage talent yeah. um sort of sent a sent a through a thing through the other day on on the draft and you know i was i was highly I was a bargain bargain picket, pick one hundred and thirty seven. I was, I think, I was picked thirty seven or something like that in the rookie draft. So mm. they've been around about one hundred and twenty odd picks before me. So wasn't exactly you know high up on the agenda of a lot of clubs, but um, all all that I needed and all I wanted was a, a foot in the door yeah. and a chance. Um, and you know, once once you once I was in, um, then I was about okay. How how can I now become the best player that I can be? And sort of from that moment. Um, yeah, really just went about trying to be the best player and, and person that I could be. So, yeah, it was good. Really fortunate. What sort of, what do you think set you apart then? Um, look, I think early on, um, really early in my career, I was I was fortunate um, fortunate enough to make some really good choices um, and align myself with some people who set great standards. Um, and certainly, you know, some of the leaders at the time. Um, so I was in a funny sort of period. You still had your... Damien Monkhurst and your um, Gavin Krasiskas and Gavin Browns and these guys were still sort of coming to the end of their career but you had your, your Nathan Buckley's and your Scotty Burns and Anthony Rockers and these guys sort of coming through Yeah, and I was just really lucky um, in some regards that I just gravitated more towards the older the older guys who were, who were doing the right thing and one of the one of the, the very first time trials that we ever had uh, was a lap around the around the tan um, and so it's only 3.8 k's or whatever it is and um, I I, I took off. I thought, well, Nathan Buckley's the best player. Mm. If I want to be the best, I'm going to have to beat him. Yeah. So we, I took off from the from the horseshoe towards the Anderson Street Hill. And I reckon at the bottom of the hill, I was like maybe a step behind him. Yeah. And by the top of the hill, I was nowhere near him. <laughs> and, uh, and I think by the time we finished at 3.8, I was like third last just in front of Sav Rocker and a couple of others. But um, <laughs> it was... Um, but But... You know what it was is just a realization. Well, here's here's where I am, and that's where I want to get to. And, and there's a bridge that, mm. that we have to make up. And um, you're not going to get there in the in the first session, or you're not going to get there overnight. But if you just chip away and chip away and keep doing the the right things, um, you know you, you're going to get the best out of yourself. So I just literally took the mantra of just trying to do everything I possibly could to be the best player and train as hard as I can and do more than the bloke next to me because I'm going to be better if he's if I'm doing more and. Mm. Um, just kept doing that for sort of twelve years. So, twelve yeah. years, pretty amazing career. I mean, most most careers are over under well and truly under that sort of fifty to hundred games yeah, mark. Yeah, particularly they? when you're when you're uh, one seventy six centimeters, <laughs> seventy five kilos, can't run too quick and can't kick any further than about thirty meters. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But um, no, look, obviously some fantastic memories. Yeah, um, and and played in some really great teams. Probably mm. got to. I, I was really. In one way, I was fortunate that when when I did get to the footy club, um, we were in a position, and Tony Shaw um, had the foresight to, to probably at the expense of his own sort of coaching career was just say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna play the kids, and mm. so I was a beneficiary of that early, yeah, and probably got a few games that I I might not have deserved, um, you know, but he he made the decision to to do that and it set the club up for for um, obviously what was a, a fairly successful. Um, early 2000s and we dipped a little bit sort of mid mid 2000s and then seven seven eight nine ten eleven obviously we were, were really successful and mm. and so having been involved in in that success and and seeing what it took being part of leadership groups and that sort of yeah. stuff and knowing what it what it takes to um, get everyone on the same page and work together and what um, you know elite teams look like and how they function together um, you know it was a really really good um, experience for me yeah um, 
and then also on the on the back of that sort of as you're coming further towards the end of your career you're starting to think about life after football and yep. transitioning into the next phase of your life um I'd, I'd sort of you know mentored a few players and um really took great interest in in trying to develop the the younger players whilst i was still playing mm. um and then so the transition into into coaching that was you know i was fairly well prepared to to know exactly what i wanted to do and and working in the like the vfl initially but working with the, the younger draftees um and then in development for the next sort of eight years um that was uh, that was excellent i love it absolutely like working with younger talent and, and seeing them grow and prosper and um then setting them free and let them be AFL players. Let them go, yeah. um, You know, it, it gives me great, great re- reward. So, just love helping people. Love, love. Um, you know, and I've got some strong, strong thoughts on how we how we do that. Mm. Um, but over over time, just sort of molded my own philosophies and thoughts, and made a few blues along the way, which everyone does, everyone which does. is which is good. But um, you know, have, have learned from them. You talk about that grounding. So, you know, um, what were some of those sort of key lessons that you did learn early? that's really set you up for success now? Yeah, look, I think early on, um, because the transition, the, the difference, and, and I was really clear um, when I did go from, from playing to coaching, um, it was difficult in one way, oh, it was easy in one way because I was familiar with the club. Yeah. I, I knew everything, you know, yeah. I, I knew everything about game plans and mm. players and everything walking in. Yeah. Um, the difficulty was, well, how, how do I now distinguish myself from being a... I'm not their mate, I'm not their player, like, I'm not a teammate not a anymore, teammate, I'm yeah. actually a coach, so I'm, it's, it is a change. Yeah, a common, a common issue that yeah, you see within yeah. business and where I, people sort of evolve, yeah, within roles. Um, you know, I, I was really, really clear that I need to I need to draw a line here and, and that consciously there are things that I can and can't do. Mm. Um, I also sort of thought, and, and you know... I'd played under Mick Malthouse for um, you know for a long period of time, ten or ten years, um, and I'd had this sort of thought, like really, and he's unbelievable, like wonderful coach, um, great mentor, and clearly you know highly successful. Um, the thing that I sort of did early, I reckon, I probably just I probably coached the way I thought everyone would want me to coach. Yeah. So, um, and that wasn't that wasn't necessarily me. So mm. like, and, and maybe because. Maybe because it was the guys that I'd played with, and maybe because I just stepped straight out of playing and was still in that real competitive mode. Like I was, I was angry. Like I was an angry. Like, it was difficult for me to see you going through a real challenging time. Yeah. Because I mean, let's not forget, you said three weeks before um, you missed out on that grand final. Yeah. How yeah. how would that sort of that for you at the time, and and how that sort of impact yeah. that sort of anger that you well, maybe talking about there? Yeah. It was or they different. They're not related at all. Oh no, they they probably are. Probably are related uh, in some regard because so you, you miss out on the on the grand final. And I tried everything that I possibly could to you know to play, give yeah. yourself every chance to play, and you don't yeah. get selected, which is which is fine. Mm. Um, but it's a it's a tough it's a tough period in your life to go through. Look, yeah. it's not it's not the be all and end all. On like top of transitioning yeah. out, <laughs> and then and so you go from um, you go from being in a highly successful side to being the the coach of the of the seconds. Yeah. Um, and so what you've got is you've got, well, and, and on top of that, on top of myself, you know, there was a number of other players that retired. There was about 1,300 games worth of experience that actually left the club mm. after that 2010 grand final. Mm-hmm. And so when you win the flag, you get the last draft pick in every round and whatever. So the, the, the talent that we brought in, um, you know, we, we didn't quite have the, the experience within the group um, that we'd had previously. So we've got a developing group with a, a young coach who's still highly competitive and, yeah. you know, still got that fierce desire to win mm-hmm. because I'd probably just had that taken away from me in some regard. And so I'm not only, I suppose I was dealing with, um, you know, the disappointment of missing out, but then also working with players who didn't have the tools and didn't know yet how to win yeah. and how, and how to get to the pinnacle. Mm. So, I could just, I sort of, I could see these players in front of me that didn't know what they were doing and, and I felt like they were just wasting an opportunity. Yeah. But what I hadn't had, I didn't have the experience and I didn't have the tools to be able to actually guide them in the right direction mm. um, and give them the information that they needed, um, you know, to, to get where they wanted to go. So, look, it, it was a, a difficult time for me. Mm. Um, but looking back now, like it was a, it was actually such a great, 
learning curve. Um, and what I, what I did have, um, fortunately, I had some great people around me. Yeah. Um, Jeff Walsh, mm-hmm. um, in particular, as the, as the sort of head of footy, mm-hmm. um, a wise head who is a straight shooter, which I, which I love. Um, you know, he had some he had some really great advice for me, and I had a, a few other mentors, Craig McRae, who's been a really successful development coach, yeah. to shape my thinking and to, sh- and to shape my coaching, and to give me advice along the way on well, how do you actually find yourself, mm. and how do you define yourself as a coach? And I, I'll always remember Walshy sort of sat down and and just straight up just told me like the person that you are as a player is not going to be. It's, it's not going to be as effective as a coach. So you need to adapt and you need to change and find what it is that you're, that you're good at and what you're passionate about and then make that shine. So having, having mentors around me at that point in time when you're developing your own philosophies and your thoughts and, and your own identity was, was gold. Um, you know, and I think with experience, you just become more comfortable, you become more rounded. And, um, and so now sitting in front of you, you know, 10 years down the track... Um, I'm a very different coach. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I treat my players and the, and the, the staff around me, um, you know, is is significantly different to what I was. And I I feel far more comfortable, and I'm a much more effective communicator. Is is that um, a result of your own self reflection, or is it a result of the change that's happening within leadership generally? And you know, we talk about the old directive control. And- yeah. And those yeah. sort of leadership styles, you know, that's that's pretty well gone from most industries now. Yeah. Um, is that your change part of your own self-reflection within that framework or is it something different you've sort of Look, learned think, along the way? I think it's probably a little bit of both. Mm. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think it has to be. Yeah. Um, you know, because that sort of autocratic dictator, um, you know, he's just getting up and barking orders flat out look it's okay to use that every now and then like yeah. you've got to be adaptable and you've got to have a few different tricks yeah um and sometimes that's that's needed in the in the heat of the moment you know if you're um three three quarter time you know and the game's in the balance and there's a part of the game that isn't working the way that you want and you need change well some, you know what you don't have time to to ask for people's opinions and stuff <laughs> like this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it so yeah bang 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 um but I, I, I think the um, where society's gotten to, and certainly with the players coming through, and particularly younger players now, mm-hmm. um, that that can work to a certain degree. And you, and you get the other the other part, I suppose that you, that you do have is when you step straight out of playing, you got a little bit of um, you got runs on the board, so you, you get a little bit of grace because of who you are. Yeah. Um, Ten years down the track, yeah, I'm working with sort of 17, 18 year old kids. I was seven or eight. <laughs> the last time I played, and I was pretty ordinary, so they kind of they kind of don't even remember anyway. It's like, yeah, yeah. or did he play? Did he? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, so how do you actually how do you form those relationships? And 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 this is this is where sport and business and and life are they they all sort of work together. Mm. It's not necessarily about what is the content. Like yeah. It's it's not about who's got the greatest game plan or who's technically who's the who's got the, the greatest information. It's how do you deliver it? Mm-hmm. And how do you um, how do you make the people that you're dealing with believe your message? Yeah. It doesn't matter what you what you're trying to deliver and, and um, I'd like to think that my my um, product is, is good. Yeah. Um, but it's the delivery. It's how do you how do you make them believe in you and how do you um, how do I then entrust them to get the best out of themselves and go and do what we need them to do? So um, that's why I think it's a little bit of both. So I've mm. certainly adapted, but certainly the players coming in are different as well. And yeah. it's just and it's taken time. It it, it actually it really has. And now um, now having been in in um, in this part of my life for a, a period of time now. Um, I've been really fortunate to, you know, you, you get to work with great talent and mm. really, um, you know, all of these kids that come get themselves onto an AFL list, they're, they're great players. Yeah. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be there. But, you know, how do we transition um, when, you're, when you're in a development role? How do you, um, how do you take them from, say, a, a junior, junior program into a, into a senior program? into a world that they've always wanted to get to yeah. but have actually had no idea of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So um, the gap between um, under-18s football and, and AFL footy is enormous. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Um, 
and it's getting bigger, getting mm. bigger and bigger um, mm. every every year. So you know, all of these players that, that get their foot in the door, um, and and this is a bit of my my coaching philosophy um, in. They all do something unbelievably well. Yeah. So you know they're a great kick, or yeah. they're really fast, or like an endurance beast, or contested ball beast. Um, when they get into a into the AFL and and the under 18s comp is you know everyone, everyone's seen this when you're the best player what do you do you just go and get the ball yeah you just you know that, that's why you're the best player because you just go and get the ball um, when you come into an AFL club it's you know defensive running patterns some of these kids have never played defense in their life um, yeah it's yeah. defense it's offensive running patterns it's you know play your role stoppage structure it's time of the game what do you what do you do in this time of the game if we're five points down five points up mm. all of that sort of stuff and and it's almost like the the analysis paralysis sort of stuff. Like you, you can literally see these these kids like um, hands in the air. I've, I've got no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. So they sort of just freeze. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's really common. Um, but what what I've sort of always tried to to say to these guys: come back and show us what you're good at. Yeah. You know, if if the game's going on around you and you feel like you're lost, come back to what you're really good at. What got you in the door? So if you if you're great at going and win the ball, you know what. Go and get the ball. Yeah, and that and that just resets your mind, and you can get yourself back on track. And we'll we can pick up the pieces later on. But you've been um, you've been entrusted with your role here, um, and this is no and and so when I when I do this now, it's not just with with players either. Mm. It's coaches, staff, um, people are put in roles because they do something exceptionally well. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the reason, and this is where I, I think the the bridge between sport and business sits really well is people are hired, um, people are, are required or they are headhunted from other organisations because they do something unbelievably well or yep. they're, um, they're promoted to, to a role that they didn't have previously. So, you, you know, you, you're drafted or you're in the leadership group or something like yeah, that. Yeah. They're, they're the same sorts of things. But um, sometimes that, that extra responsibility or that change in, that change in level or... Um, or you know you go from being a, an employer to a manager, as an mm. example. You know um, the reason that you've you've done that is because you're a great people person, or you're unbelievable at identifying. You know what are the KPIs or hitting my KPIs? I'm a great salesman, or there's all of these there's all of these different factors that people are great at. Yeah. With the extra responsibility, often um, you know, and and the extra amount of information that you need to take in, or um, managing instead of just being a peer. It's sometimes it can be really difficult to navigate your way through that, and is, and yeah. you can lose your identity. Yeah. And um, so I would you know come back, keep showing us what you're good at. If you're and, and this is where um, where we are sort of at the moment with restrictions and less face to face contact and stuff like that. There's all these barriers that are being put in place, and the world's an ever changing sort of beast at the moment. Um, but how can we how can we get the game back on? back on your terms how can you show your strengths and and show everyone what you're good at because that's why you're entrusted with that role yes yeah, so mm. um it's taken a little bit of time to to sort of get there mm. but um yeah it, it's just I, i've just sort of seen it so often in in um in sport and with the kids particularly in the afl system that you know these kids are great players when they're juniors and they come in but they've got to keep showing us what they're good at, and we'll we'll keep buffering the the other stuff. Like you've still got to be authentic, and you've still got to be real, mm. um, and open and honest as to you know performance. Because at the end of the day, it's it is about performance. Yeah. Um. You know, because we still need to we need to win. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's important. When you talk about performance, then there's obviously the individual component, but then there's obviously the team and, and you've been part of different high performing teams yeah. over the, over the journey. You know, what are the sort of real characteristics you see that are pretty common themes across really true elite high performance teams? The, the number one thing is like, like they work. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. so there's no, there's no getting away from that. You've still got to, um, you can have all the, you can have all the best facilities. You can have all the, you know, the, the greatest code, like you can have the, the greatest resources in the world. But if you don't if you don't want to work, like the weights aren't going to lift themselves. You still got to train hard. <laughs> yeah. You still got to you still got to do it right. Yeah. Um, but the the best teams are the ones that are all on the same page. Mm. It's it's um, intrinsic. It's that might not be the right word. It's having this absolute belief and faith um, that everyone knows their role, 
Um, everyone knows what they want to do in that particular moment, and they have full faith in the bloke in the guy standing next to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I don't think that's going to be any different to to any organisation. If no. you if you're all if you're all putting all of your energy in the same direction, you, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you look at you look at the sporting landscape at the moment, and you know Richmond's been really successful over the last couple of years. Um, Geelong has been successful for a long time. Hawthorne, um, Brisbane, back in the in the early two thousands. Um, what is it about those teams that have set them apart from others? Um, and the, and not having sort of been in the organisations, I, I can't absolutely say this. They may not have had the the most extravagant game plans. In mm. fact, I bet I'd, I'd have to say they'd be pretty simple. Yeah, but they all know what they're doing. They yeah. all know exactly what they need to do at that particular point in time. And, and they've all got that trust in each other. And they have that trust. Mm. So then, as a coach, well, what, what role do I play in that? Mm. Um, then it starts to, then it, you have to sort of start to unpack, okay, so in order to do that, how, how, can, how can I communicate clearly enough and make, make the, the message simple enough so that everyone knows? Mm. Um, can I... Can I do that to the whole team? So the whole team knows, you know, we need to do A, B, and C this week, and we'll be we'll be fine. Um, I'd like to think that that I coach in a really simple um, from messaging. I'm, I'm I'm really simple. I, I try not to give the, give the guys sort of three things because A, I'm not smart enough, <laughs> and I'm gonna and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna mess yourself up. And well, I'll, we all think I'll, in I'll get lost. Yeah, I mean, that's where yeah. it works. I mean, but it's, I think it's proven. <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll just confuse myself and then I'll lose my way and then um, then it, uh, good luck. Um, but if if we look after A, B, and C, well, yeah. you know what the the fourth, fifth, sixth they're, they're actually not that important. Yeah. Because if we get the building blocks right, um, we're we're halfway there. We're we're on the journey together. Um, but then how do how do I then also take into account um, you know individual differences yeah. um, different personalities different learning styles um, once again different strengths um, and and highlight the importance of of that from an individual point of view to filter up to the team mm-hmm. and so um, the one thing that I I'd, I'd like to think that I do really well is I actually form really strong relationships with my players and um, and when I say that I, I I sort of mean it's always it is a coach player relationship mm-hmm. so we're not we're not best mates, no. Um, but there is a there is an absolute respect um, that I'll I'll coach um, and and do the best that I can to to get their strengths out, um, do it in a clear and concise manner. So when they you know and and when they are showing their strengths, when they are playing well, and when they're doing something good, I want to I want to tell them. I want to celebrate it. Absolutely, yeah. I want to celebrate their successes mm. because. I'm on this journey with them. Unfortunately, I can't get out there and I can't do it for them, um, which I'd love to do. But everyone gets old. Um, but when, but when you, when you, when you do this and when you are positive and you celebrate the success um, and you and you coach the individual to them and you're really clear that hey, we're working, we're working together to get the best out of you. Um, I. The, the the feeling of togetherness and the the respect and the bond that you form with your players is great. Mm. So then, when you have to have the difficult conversations, they're not actually that difficult. Yeah. Um, because they're just open, they're just honest, and I'll I'll have the the right tools and be able to pull the right mechanisms to know which is which is the button to push today yeah. for this player. Um, so. This uh, and it all comes. It just comes with experience. Um, what I mean, experience is one thing, but then you know you've you've also discussed it. Like there is a bit of a process that yeah. you go through yeah. naturally. So, um, and and in particular when you're talking about sort of strength based leadership, yeah. what are sort of the components to that that enables teams to have that connection or form that connection? And what are some of the tips that you've learned along the way yeah. on how to do that? The the first part is to to acknowledge that everyone is actually different. Mm. Um, so I, I suppose there's, there's two different, there's two different philosophies on, on, um, how, how to play a game, any, any game. Is it, um, is it the cookie cutter approach? Like this is the way that we're going to play. Um, and then I'll go and find the talent and I'll, I'll mold the player to, to play this style. And if they can't do it, we'll, we'll move them on and then we'll, 
um, go and get someone who can. Yeah. And we'll just mould them. This is the way we play. We're going to play this way. Da, da, you da, hear da. them use the language. Yeah. We'll get, get the right cattle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're going to get the right cattle. <laughs> or the 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 opposite of that is well, what what are what are the cattle? Mm. Um, what have I got at my disposal? What are they good at? And how mm. can I maximise that? And and can I come up with a, a plan that maximises that talent? Yeah. Um, and that and that sort of highlights and, and acknowledges that we are different. That it acknowledges that that everyone's got their own strengths and vulnerabilities. And mm. um, it takes you know it, it takes a greater sense of um, uh, of togetherness and knowing of your of your players and the relationship forming. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're all trying. To, we're all we're all searching for the same thing. Same we goal. all want to be successful. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes the the winning um, is actually is winning the game. Like it, the the thing about sport is, you, mm. you get really great feedback um, on performance weekly. You either win or you lose, yeah. or, or you draw. Yeah. Um, but so you you get weekly feedback on on performance. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time with with players um, and and working with with talent or people, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to bridge the have this bridge between um, sport and, and and business. Mm. You know, in a in the, any sort of work workplace, yeah. potentially you don't get that you don't get that win loss. No, um, but for individuals, sometimes a win you, you can lose and still win in some regard because. Um, you know, you take a you take a, an eighteen year old kid and you throw him in, um, you know, throw him into the AFL or the VFL or wherever wherever it is that he's playing. Then they might not be they might not be ready. Mm. So thinking that they they're going to run out and dominate the game or um, you know be the best player on the ground is unrealistic. And you, you're not setting this kid up to to be successful if you if you have those expectations anyway. Yeah. But the little the little steps or the little wins along the way and the little bits of you know, the little nuggets of gold when you see a breakthrough in performance or skill or whatever it is, they're the bits that you just you celebrate. That you want to celebrate, yeah, and they yeah. and they're fantastic. Um, so sometimes we get that, and some of my fondest, you know, some some of my greatest, um, or I was going to say achievements, but some of the some of the players that I've worked with that I feel like I've had the most impact on mm. haven't actually played senior football. Yeah, um, but they've been a challenge because they. Um, well, it's a difference between um, what Simon Sinek calls the infinite game yeah. versus the finite game. Yeah, you know, well, a finite game is that you know weekly, you know, win loss, yeah. you know, and and um, and the performance in you know performance to to deliver that or, or otherwise. Whereas the infinite game is, you know, it's not about two teams colliding or two teams competing. It's about the the journey that you go yeah. on. Some get there and some don't, unfortunately. But that's that's elite sport. But still getting text messages, you know, years down the track or, um, you know, months down the track, um, just saying thank you yeah. for, for everything that I've done and feeling that real bond with, with players mm. um, gives me great satisfaction. It really does. And when you talk about that sort of infinite game, it, it is that. Yeah. Um, and, and even though in sport, you know, you do get the weekly, you get the weekly win-loss. Yeah. At the end of every season, you get a premier and you, you've got 17 other teams who unfortunately haven't gotten what they want. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean that the game stops. No, that doesn't mean um, just because you know just because Richmond won the, the premiership last year, I guarantee you they want to be better. Yeah, and they want to you know find a, a um, more efficiency. They mm. they want to find a way to, to do it again. Yeah, um, and to stay ahead of the curve. So um, although although you do get that sort of win loss, you, you don't stop. No, never um, stops. It, it's it's always right. you know we're we're always looking for greater efficiency we're always looking for um, a way to, to coach it better we're always looking for a new learning you know a, a new learning opportunity mm. um, or pulling apart any sort of performance and I think and I think this is where um, in in my role now with the AFL um, you know I, I've now got the ability um, to go around um, to every state so I, I work with you know the the coaches and the talent who are who are um, on their journey through to hopefully getting drafted. Mm. Um, and so working with the coaches, the thing that I do is sort of step in and out of programs and try and guide and, and um, try and help facilitate, um, you know, what is, a, what is a great program to, to try and help these kids. And the thing, that, the thing that sort of comes out all the time is, um, you know, we get, we get a chance to deliver or um, a chance to perform 
almost daily. So any interaction with a player, any meeting, any training drill, any training session, any game day performance is an opportunity to um, to learn mm. and to get better. Mm. And so I'll always, you know, in talking with with coaches that I'm that I'm working with, and and definitely for myself, you know, I want this every time for myself is um, trying to get away from the thought that there's a perfect performance. Yeah. And so in any meeting, um, you know, I'll always come back to what if you're going to run, you know, this training drill again or that training session again tomorrow, what would you do the same and what would you do different? Yeah. And, and learn from that. And what, what comes out really quick, really quickly is there is no such thing as a perfect performance. There's no, you know, there's no home run meeting. Mm. Where every word you say, like the players are hanging off every every word, and you, you know, you, you're Tom Cruise standing in the boardroom or something. Yeah, like that. yeah let's go and get in. Or what is um, it, uh, Al Pacino? Yeah, in, yeah, in a given yeah, Sunday, yeah. You know. So, um, but then also in the in the, in the same breath, there's no absolute, you know, in a in a in a loss or what is perceived as a poor f- performance. There's mm. still opportunity. Obviously, there's opportunities to learn, but there's mm. still things that you do well. Yeah. Um, so. It's actually trying to to break down the the, the stigma around feedback yeah. and the stigma around critiquing performance. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, because as soon as someone says, oh, "I want to give you a little bit of feedback," it's like, "Oh God, what have I done?" Here wrong? we go. <laughs> but it, it's yeah. not that. It's a, yeah. and this is where you know, like I sort of said before about when you know your players and you've got a great relationship, mm. it's it's not um, positive or negative. It's just it just is. Yeah. Um, so. Have, being able to have the, the the conversations and the authenticity around um, and the openness to say, well, and, and I'm really clear on this, I'll, I'll often say I'm not perfect mm-hmm. and I don't always have the answers either. Yeah. Um, but let's let's be open and be sharing of our information so that we can be better. Mm-hmm. You know, is there is there a way to be better every session? Is there a way to um, to adapt and is there a way to change so in any um, in any training drill or any meeting or is there an opportunity to slightly adjust what we're doing to get a better result um, or is there a chance to actually just try something completely different and who knows you, 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 yeah you know in my role with the AFL it's been really challenging to walk into um, you know to walk into different programs and um, the, and the, a program would and, be like a state-based and, and program. So, a state-based, so like you know, the, the West Australian um, state program, yep. or the um, SA state program, allies, yep. um, walking in there as a completely fresh face, not sort of knowing, not having any um, any great um, connection with people before I've been there. I might have yeah. played against a couple of people here and there, yeah, like, yeah. or now coaches or... Any legacies on those? Yeah, <laughs> couple, couple. <laughs> Um, no doubt. <laughs> but actually, actually being able to walk in there. So you know, as the as the national coach, you could you could be justified in your own sort of thinking to walk in and say, you know what, this is what we're doing. Yeah. This is how we're going to do it. This is the program, and you're going to run it. You're going to run it this way. Mm-hmm. And that totally disregards the the credibility that the coaches or the the team managers or the the people in those programs have got. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why they're the, they're in those roles. Like I said before, because they do something unbelievably well. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not the guy that walks in and goes, this is what we're doing. But what I am is the guy that will question and ask and sort of try to um, get people to um, a- adapt to find a better result that mm. that sits in line with my philosophies, my thinking, mm. and, and, um, and the AFL's philosophy mm. on player development, on the pathway, and what is best, what is best for the player. Because um, there's a million different ways you can do it. Yeah. So um, once again, it's not just the cookie cutter. It's what works well in that program at that time, and can we do it a little bit, a little bit different? There's a lot of um, a lot of discussions lately about, um, you know, particularly about leadership and about you know leadership with high performing teams. What's sort of been the key? You know, what's been a key lesson that you've learned over the journey? In high performing teams, I think that oh, I'd have to say that the. The the greatest lesson that I've learned is it's that's a difficult question to answer because there's not sort of one thing, but I suppose where I've been recently and um, certainly the acknowledgement of individuality mm. within a, a team constraint. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a that's a really difficult 
um, a really difficult thing to manage. Um, and the, the, other, the, the other constant that I've sort of seen um, in, in high-performing teams is their core group of leaders. And it's not, not designated leaders as such, but the, the influential people within a, within a group, if they're, if they're all moving in the same direction, you know, and then, then it's really easy, really easy for others to follow. So, mm. um, certainly in the in the teams that I've been in that have that have been successful, mm-hmm. um, we see that. And and to be honest, that that's looked different. In you know how it looked in the in the early two thousands looked completely different to what it was um, in the late two thousands. Has it changed? Um, because of different personalities, mm. because of because of um, where the group has been at. Yeah. So. Um, when you're trying to take, um, you know, in the early 2000s, I was part of the part of the leadership group and, and the Collingwood Footy Club that went from being um, wooden spooners in '99 yeah. to grand finalists in '02 that missed out by, you know, a couple of kicks. So that's a fairly significant change, I yeah. would have thought. Yeah. And that was done through um, a complete changing of standards. Yeah. It was a it was a real change in culture, and it was a strong very very strong um and i wouldn't say forceful but determined group of leaders that just drove drove towards a common goal and then and then you've got you know a really clear plan Mm -hmm. um the coaches were were fantastic mick and the and the assistant coach were fantastic you know this is the plan this is how we play and so everyone was very clear um the expectations everyone knew and then the absolute belief in the in the bloke standing next to you that mm. he's going to do his job so I can do mine, um, you know that was un, undoubted. Mm. So that was a great connection with that group, and we definitely weren't the the most talented group, but we we were so connected. Yeah. Then sort of um, you know the late late two thousand and twenty ten premiership and um, twenty eleven. It, it was a it's a different it's a different era. It's a different group of players, and mm. so that. Um, that style of leadership is not necessarily the one that needs to, that's going to get the job done yeah. because um, you're sort of starting to see the the individual or the 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 Gen Y sort of people starting to come through, yeah. and it's a little bit of well, what's in this, what's in it for me? You know, mm-hmm. how how does this all fit? How do I, how do I, you know, as a as a, a circle in a in a square hole yeah. in, in some regard? You know, like there was a, a little bit more of that. Yeah. Um, and so having to adapt and um, and how to lead individuals a little bit more was um, was a change that, that needed to happen, and we we all needed to adapt. And certainly as leaders, the way that you you know that, that sort of autocratic, this is I'm, I'm just follow me because this is where I'm going, and this is what we're going to do. And if you don't do it, you know, we'll give you a whack. That that's was starting to disappear a little bit. Yeah. Compared to sort of now where. Um, you know the the real celebration of individuality and and your own sort of flair within a team constraint. Mm. You know there, there's still non-negotiables in what we need to achieve, but as long as everyone's crystal clear on the framework and the journey and and this is what it looks like, you can do whatever you like um, to be a part of that. But yeah. there, there are still certain expectations you need to hit. It, it, it sounds as you say that. I, I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer in what you're saying. But isn't there a sort of a stroke of irony in there somewhere that that people, you know, I heard Andy Marr talking about the other day. They malign, you know, the Mickey Conlon was on the front bar the other night. Yeah. They malign that sort of time where those blokes could be could do what they could do out in the field, and they could have the that flair um, to take that big arcing run. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, you know, take a few. Be- you know, now with the, it seems like uh, the irony of it all is that we've got. Gen Ys who want to be more like themselves or want to be more individual, but mm. would now constrain them, as you said, in this environment. Whereas <laughs> back in those days, yeah, you say yeah. we were allowed to, they were allowed to run free, yeah, run yeah. free out in the out in the, out the savannah. That's funny, isn't it? Well, it's really interesting uh, being in, in footy clubs now. So, yeah, um, you know, I can, I can still remember when a player started to wear like white boots and I was like look at this guy yeah, who do you think you are yeah, yeah, well, I'll yeah. never forget that yeah. but now some of the boot companies don't even make black boots <laughs> so good luck but you know back in now we're starting to go way back but mm. you know back in the day mm. um, if you look at the uh, the personality profiles of where you played yeah um, you know all your diligent um, cross your eyes, dot the T's like your, your thinkers 
are your midfielders. Yeah. This is a very generic term. Yeah, yeah. Um, but your, your meat and potatoes played down back. They punch and run. And, you know, if, if you take a bounce or, or whatever, you know, you're ahead of your time. Yeah. And yeah. Your, your flair, you know, um, your, your flamboyant sort of players all played forward. Yeah. Um, grossly, um, you know, generic. Yeah. But now... What are we? What are we asking um, from the from the players these days? Well, mm. the midfielders are still your engine room. They they still you know uh, highly analytical and, and whatever. Mm. Um, your backs now are your flamboyant. You know, take the game on, go and you know mark the Jeremy Howes jump on people's yeah, heads yeah, and, of course, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Darcy Moore, yeah, um, of course. You yeah. know, take the game on, give us run and carry and mm. real bounce out of the out of the back half. And yeah. your forwards, well, they're your meat and potatoes. They're your you know pressure on the ball. It's your yeah, run. yeah, so yeah. the game sort of flipped in some regards. But it has. It's amazing how it sort of all goes around and around um, in circles and, and where the game evolves to. So mm. um, that's why you've just got to adapt. That's why you've got to be, you know, on your on your feet thinking all the time and, and trying to find, you know, what is what is needed in this particular time. Mm. Um, how can I make the best of this situation with also an eye on the future? Well, what can we, how can we stay ahead of the game? How, what, how can we find an advantage on, on someone else? How can we do it a little bit better? How can we be more efficient? How can we... Um, you know, do things that maybe haven't been thought of before, but are right for this group. Yeah, and we can take this group to a place that they they didn't know they could be. Sports always going to been a great metaphor for life and for <laughs> business. So, um, and adapt is really poignant given yeah. the times that we're dealing with now, mate. So, um, what are some of the lessons that you can think that can that business can take from sport to adjust or adapt to these particular times? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's been an interesting few months, hasn't it? Mm. And and we've all We've all been faced with unbelievable uncertainty. You have yourself, yeah, and um, and hopefully this is not this is something that we don't go through again. Mm. Um, but what I what I think has happened in in this particular piece of time is everyone's probably everyone's having a think of well, it's a chance, it's a it's a it's a chance to to reset. It's a it's a chance to redefine what we stand for. It's mm-hmm. a chance to find efficiencies that we we haven't had before mm-hmm. um and and adapt and um and redefine or reshape what the working model looks like and how we interact and and I, and it is going to be interesting to see where it all gets to but i'm sure you know myself like others have have gone through stages of feeling certain about what's going on and, and feeling comfortable mm. compared to Compared to the complete opposite end, where you you know you're you're wondering you know what's going on in the world, what's going to go on with my job, my family, my health, mm. um, you know, I'm I'm sure there's there's people out there, and and it's it's unfair to, to sort of cut it down the middle, but there's been industries and businesses that have been decimated. Yeah. Um, you know, so the the fear and the uncertainty around. You know, how do I put food on the table? Am I going to have a job? Mm-hmm. Is there any sort of certainty? There's there's that part of the world at the moment, and mm. um, you know, and the AFL has been been a part of that. It has, um, yeah. but then there's also there's also this part of the business world now that's that's actually flourishing, mm-hmm. and they've found you know um, there's there's other parts of the of the business world that have just inundated with demand, and so then it's well, how do we, how can we how can we maximise this? Yeah. Um, how can how can we adapt and evolve, and how can we maximise, you know, this this particular point in time? Um, so there's probably also you know a lot of uncertainty around. Well, and, and is this going to last? Yeah. Because the world's changing that quickly. So, um, you know, I think I, th- I think there's just so much change and adaptation that's going on in the world that there's so many different opportunities that exist out there. So. You would have to think that there's, um, you know, plenty of businesses that are thinking, well, how can we now find um, efficiencies within our, our workforce and and within our um, within our personnel to maximise what we've got? Mm. Um, so you know, no longer are we going to have, you know, we don't have the face to face stuff that we yeah. used to have. So certainly for for maybe sales and marketing, like I'd, I'm I'm not too sure on that. But there's going to be people that are feeling disconnected. Yeah, there's going to be. It's going to be um, employees that are now, you know, working from home um, or, or working remotely, 
um, that have, aren't getting that face-to-face contact with their colleagues or with their, their senior managers. Um, so they're feeling uncertain about, well, am I getting the right information? Am I getting enough feedback? Am I, am, am I able to get to my customers and mm. um, you know, be able to, to continue to build those relationships and, 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 and do what I need to do? Mm. Or is it the managers who are now having their workforce um, working remotely again or, or a couple of days a week in the office or whatever they're doing and they're feeling disconnected because they, they're not quite they're not quite there with their um, you know with shoulder their, to shoulder, shoulder, with, to shoulder with, their, with yeah. the, the people that they're responsible for yeah. and so the uncertainty around well how once again like how can I get the game back on my terms what can I do mm. what can I do to maximise what's at my disposal at the moment how can I how can I adapt how yeah. can I be better so that um, you know, if things come come back again, mm. um, you know, fantastic. But if they don't, can I still can I still be as effective as what I what I was? Or can, how can I um, how can I make some changes so that we are more effective or more efficient? Um, mm. Because there's plenty of companies out there at the moment that are you know you've got to you got to slash your your cost, mm. um, your spending. Um, so you know, there's a lot there. But then there's also the other there's potentially the other part of businesses that are. Um, are becoming, you know, um, inundated with workload, mm. and there's um, there's the need to try and maximise um, a, a booming a booming business. Yeah. And so then potentially you've got you've got the other end of the spectrum that um, you know people are, are highly stressed. Mm. Um, people are um, have got a, a workflow um, workflow that they haven't had before so yeah, how do you, how do you manage, manage you know yeah. instead of going you're no longer doing your, your nine to five which no one works anyway but mm. you, all of a sudden you know you, you're doing your your 10 hour days which mm. is unsustainable mm-hmm. um and and potentially you've also got people that are, are taking on extra responsibilities that they didn't have before so how do you how do you adapt and how do you become more efficient and manage your time and and look after staff once again that you're potentially not having face-to-face contact with so it is a it is a an ever ever changing world and the new norm. There's no no such thing as a new norm anymore. I don't think. No, but no. Um, you know, there's plenty of opportunities to to try and be better to um, to influence influence to be um, more efficient and to and to be more connected and and so like I said before about what do the best teams do? Well, they have everyone on the same page. They're mm. all working in the same direction. Adaptation now is going to be a common theme for for most organisations, most businesses, and um, and and particularly when you talk about the different leadership styles that are required, mm. it's going to take a real change in our own leadership mindsets to to think about the role that you want to play as a leader as part of the the businesses or organisations or teams. Mm. Uh, going forward for here, how, how important then is that? Is that reflection? We spoke about it at the start, but how how important is that personal reflection to understand what sort of value you can add as a leader yeah. in these next sort of phase of our lives? Yeah, yeah. I think the I, I think as a as a leader, I, I think the the reflection piece happens almost almost daily. Really, mm. is um, sort of. I like to I like to think of the the reflection piece and the way that I sort of see myself as a leader is is the legacy. Like, what sort of legacy am I leaving um, for the people that I interact with, mm-hmm. or the, the people that I manage, or the people that I you know that I coach, whatever mm-hmm. it is, or for my kids. You know, what's mm-hmm. what's my legacy as a as a parent, um, which <laughs> often is the most challenging part. But yeah. like, so I, I suppose when you when you reflect on you know how how am I perceived or where am I going or what direction am I heading in? It's a lot about, um, yes, it's about forward projection. Mm-hmm. It's what do I want to be known as? What do I want to be seen? And I always come back to um, when I'm working, you know, when I'm working with other coaches or people that I'm mentoring or, or managing is, well, take a little bit of time to have a think about the people that you've had interactions with. So whether it's your, you know, your, your favourite Maybe you know who who was the best teacher at school. Yeah. Who was the who was the who was the sports coach that you had? That you automatically felt, think about it straight that, away. Yeah. The, you? The, the, the image who, goes straight. Who straight was away. the coach that just got the best out of you? You, know, you yeah. just felt like you'd you'd die for this coach. Mm. Um, you'd do anything for him. Mm. Um, or you know, there's just other people. You know, your your your, your favorite boss. There might mm. not might not be too many, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, or you or the manager that you felt like they they just had your back. Yeah. Or um, they they just had a vested interest in in you. They wanted mm. to see you do your best. And what was it about that person? Because often 
like I sort of said way back, it's often not about their expertise. Mm. It, it's often not about you know who who had the who who could teach me maths the best. I don't know. I've forgotten most of it. Um, <laughs> or who had the who had the um, you know the greatest game plan yeah. or the the most unbelievable sales pitch or. Mm. It's often not that, or who had the best PowerPoint? Mm. Um, you know, it's. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. I personally, I don't remember that. But what I remember is, you know, who was the coach that actually took the time to know me? Mm-hmm. Who was the coach that, um, or the teacher that actually spent that little bit of extra time to teach me in a way that they didn't teach to others, or mm. um, actually spent a little bit of time to get to know me, and you know, just. I, I reckon that's what it comes back to. It's yeah. that connection. Yeah, and um, and so when I'm when I'm thinking about how I want to be perceived and mm-hmm. how I want to, what legacy am I going to leave on my players and or my organisation? Well, that starts to shape my thinking. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said before, about you know, still getting text messages from players and just sort of you know reaching out, who reach out and just say thanks. And um, for me, that fills me with so much joy mm-hmm. because yeah, I've helped them. You know, on their on their footy journey, but when you have a have a connection and it's more than just that player coach relationship, yeah, that's um that's quite meaningful. So yeah, I love that. Well, mate, I think um that's a real positive note to finish on today. <laughs> and, and normally I ask normally I ask each of the interviewees if they had a chance to sit down with someone who's either led through a crisis or one of the greatest leaders that you've had. So those sort of yeah. coaches in your journey might be the more appropriate way. Um, who would that be? Who would that leader that you'd love? Who would that leader be that you'd love to sit down with and just have a moment with them, sort of pick up on their legacy? Yeah, wow, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> um, As always, without notice. Yeah, isn't it? Jeez. Um, yeah, look, I. It's kind of funny. I've always. I don't know. I'm just. Fa- I'm fascinated to learn. I, I really am, and so often, often there's 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 two different ways that, that you can go about this. Like I I always want to know, um, because I suppose because I'm a I'm a coach is like I want to know who is the best teacher. I see I see coaching coaching and teaching I see as as fairly closely aligned because you've got a message and you're trying to get it across. But yeah, so you know who's the best lecturer at Harvard or. Um, you know Melbourne Uni or, or wherever um, and why is it that they are the best mm. um, but I suppose the question that you're oh sorry and then the other the other one is um, I actually want to I actually want to go into sometimes a dysfunctional organization yeah um, or, or club or team or whatever and, and actually just be a fly on the wall for a month and just say well okay why yeah there's no I, I do have um, a, a theory on this you don't ever fluke first <laughs> yeah. So no one flukes winning a premiership, but okay. I also think um, you don't fluke last. So there's decisions and there's um, there's things that you do along the way that either set you up for success or that you're actually setting yourself up to fail. So um, I'm a pretty big believer in that one. Um, but look, I, there's so many different sort of sporting teams and businesses and whatever that you know high functioning um, leadership. So straight away, you know, like. Donald Trump would be fascinating, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not right now. Well, actually, no, right now would be even even better. Yeah, yeah. It'd be frightening. Yeah. Um, you know, but like right now, um, even being the Prime Minister of Australia. Yeah. You know, Scott Morrison, like some of the decisions that he's having to make and the conversations and the way he's he's um, leading the people around him would be fascinating to sit in on. Mm. Um, mm. You know, or other other um, you know how how are they going in. The, the big hospitals in New York or, yeah. you know, stuff like that that are really under the pump at the moment. And, mm. and by under the pump, I mean, you know, unbelievable workload and decisions. and yeah. Life and death decisions they are that they're literally making life on people. And decisions, yeah. but how are they handling that? And yeah. how are they handling the people around them and, and some of the other stuff that they're doing, I think would be unbelievably fascinating at the moment. Mm. So There's a lot on our plates at the moment to think about, a lot in our lives that we, we're looking to adapt or change to. And, and today you gave some really good insights into some of those things you can do to adapt to yeah. the to the changing world now. So thanks, Tux. No, thanks for coming along, thanks mate. For Appreciate me. it. Appreciate it. Thank you. That concludes Episode 6 of Series 2 of Crisis Talks. 
In my next episode, I interview Regina Phelps, who's the CEO of EMS Solutions and is a crisis management consultant working out of the US. We speak about the state of the COVID response over in the US and compare the differences between the leadership experiences that Regina has seen over in the US compared to what we're seeing here in Australia and elsewhere around the globe, the role that gender plays in crisis and emergency management leadership, and the roles that women can play in the crisis emergency management fields, given Regina's experience after 38 years in the industry.